Hi, this is Lee Majors. Last month on NetTrek, the free enterprise was hijacked by a young troop of singing libertarians. Naturally, we hated everything they stood for, but still agreed with most everything they said. It seems they even put me into conflict with myself. Boy, howdy. Your emergency sure is real. When they all got to the mythical planet Iron, things took an unexpected turn. And then the show was canceled to make room in the primetime lineup for a great new show called Manimal. Or was it Here Comes the Bride? Anyhow, I have no idea. But stay tuned, there's something really great coming up right now. It's been fun. Lots of laughs. Jamie. It always is when friends meet again. But lately, it's gone flat for me, Jamie. I don't like seeing you. Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. Greetings, Commodore McConnell. It's really great to see you again in this no-frills office on this futuristic starbase. I can see a planet outside your office window. Or maybe it's a moon. The moon! (laughs) I must admit, Captain Romney, we were surprised to see you and your team transport down here. We thought that the Free Enterprise franchise had been canceled after that unfortunate and ludicrous incident with the death of Ambassador Rourke and those singing space libertarians. Although I owe you my own personal gratitude for snuffing out that upstart Rand Paul. He was no friend of this Kentucky colonel. I mean, Commodore. Yeah, well, despite a significant letter-writing campaign by hundreds of thousands of tea partiers, I'll support the cancellation, I might add. A passing conversation with some random cracker on the street gave the network execs some cause for reflection. They decided not to cancel us after all, and to rebuild half of the sets. Unfortunately, the bridge set was not one of them. Now we have to pretend to drive the ship from a 19th century logging camp set. It's pretty stupid, really. Fortunately, none of us were able to find any long-term work on any of the shows, although personally I don't understand why. I had a short stint on Bonanza as Cousin Wilfred Cartwright, but they let me go after only two episodes. I don't know why. I just suggested that Nevada Territory make a preemptive strike on Wyoming Territory. The end result could have been a new Wyiata Territory, but they wouldn't go for it. Instead, they fired me and told me to try the Three Stooges. But if I joined them, there'd be four Stooges, and that wouldn't make any sense. Anyhow, there was no way I was going to be Pearly Joe. I must admit, I'm used to having more success than that on television. I see, I see. I, on the other hand was shuffled over to Mission Impossible 
Not as an actor, no, but as a wardrobe man. You see, they needed somebody that could give proper love and care to all those Nazi uniforms that their plots have such reliable use for. Yes, you do have to be careful how you press the sleeves on those SS overcoats. If you do it incorrectly, they'll hike up and obscure the offensive armbands. Still, Captain, we on the Starbase can't figure out why y'all diverted here. Nobody put a call out to you to do any such thing. <laughs> well, it's always nice to have a little visit with you and have the opportunity to stare at a dry alien moon. Captain Willard, remember... We got a subspace message from Fleet Captain Ronald Reagan asking us to divert here with all haste. Well, then I say that somebody's been pulling your giblet, cause there ain't no way, no how, that Fleet Captain Reagan could have made that call or any call. Don't you all know the state of that officer? Yes, there's been some subspace libertarian cracker chat about it for months. Somebody said that it was a real disastrous, terrible, terrible thing that happened out there. And instead of a cherry on top, there was a scandal on top. And that was all I could make out. It was a horrible, tragic calamity. And that's all anybody could say. And the fact that it could happen to such a man, such an icon, made us all sit up and take notice. That is, since so many of us are icons and waiting, and future legends to be. <laughs> you know, I met the fleet captain several times. He was as gracious and as kind as you might expect from a hardcore conservative ideologue. I could tell that he took a particular liking to me. He told me that I looked like Danny Thomas's nose, which I think was his way of handing off the torch to me. Actually, Captain, he tells a lot of people that these days. Well, why don't you come over here and meet him yourself? I think that you'd have to agree that there's no way that he could have sent you any kind of message. What is he in your closet? Yeah, that's where we keep him now. But before I open it up, let me prepare you all. He looks pretty bad. His last command, the U.S. Hindenbuckle, blew one of its work core initial stabilizers. Every man here knows just how serious a situation of this kind can be on a class Jesus H. starship. With the engine room located so close to the kitchen, the ship's entire store of synthetic tomato sauce was subject to radiation-induced molecular expansion. The stuff gushed out like magma and flooded the entire sausage section, I mean sausage section, with burning hot radioactive sauce. Captain Reagan pulled all of those boys out of there, even though most of them were indistinguishable from meatballs. In fact, it's safe to say that he also pulled a bunch of meatballs out of that hair. The ship was called the Hindenbuckle? So, Commodore, Mitch, are you trying to tell us that Fleet Captain Reagan was burned beyond recognition and that all remains of him is a living brain kept inside some kind of ultra-advanced stasis machine? That is just so 23rd century. Worse than that, his brain is gone too. But no, it's not really gone. It's still there. Except it's not working quite right. For example, after the incident, the fleet captain insisted on getting all those men and or meatballs proper medical attention, no matter what the cost. But most of those men, and perhaps even a few of the meatballs, couldn't have even been officers. They would have been enlisted men. Ensigns, cadets, yeomen, cabin boys, and green Orion slave dudes. They wouldn't have been entitled to any free health care. That's, that's socialism. 
Fleet Captain Reagan was going against everything he'd ever fought for. Why, there has to be a reason. I see. It's impossible for me to take this in. Did he make the Confederation ultimately pay for all those emergency medical procedures? Don't say it was some kind of Medicaid he was tapping. Big Jim, bring me my smelling salts. No, sir. And this part might be the most shocking thing of all. He paid for it all himself. He even bankrupted himself doing it. He was once one of the greatest of all of us. But now, I'm afraid that he's less than a man in terms of his person and in terms of his purse. Wow, and if he has a purse now, he really is less than a man in more ways than I'm comfortable in thinking about. <laughs> but you still took care of him, Commodore. You gave him the best medical attention and a place in your very own cupboard. Actually, as you'll soon see, we didn't give him any medical attention. We just gathered them all up like and plunked them into an old cabinet that my cousin Sanders made for me to keep my chickens in. If old Captain Reagan can ever afford it, he's welcome to see himself a private physician. Actually, we didn't think it was going to last more than a few days, but that was three years ago. Well, gentlemen, here he is, Fleet Captain Reagan. Ron, you know these men, don't you? I see. Did old Colonel Sanders whittle that out of a monkey puzzle tree? It's a handsome piece, that's for sure. Did you see that there's some chickens in there, too? Captain Reagan, you remember me, don't you? I think you used to call me Mr. Boyleys, or Mr. Mayor when I worked in your administration. I was an undersecretary of something or other. See, I don't remember either, sir. What was that sound? Is that his voice? Is he trying to communicate with me? Since he couldn't afford to have a doctor or a medical technician attach something as fancy as a 10-watt light bulb up to his brain, one that could blink out coded messages, my cousin Sanders just put a kazoo in his butt. He toots once for yes and twice for Danny Thomas's nose. So he just responded to me with Danny Thomas's nose. Well, that means he does remember me. This is fantastic. Although not as fantastic as it would have been if he hadn't done a Trotsky on us, good thing his legend is still one of us. <laughs> it's good to see you, Ron. Hopefully this is an opportune time to talk to you about your bank overdrafts. You see, Ben Galactic recently took over your bank on Charmundia 5, and I am here representing the interests of our company's shareholders. Do you happen to have a checkbook in that cabinet somewhere? Or any gold? Well, he either just indicated yes ten times, or Danny Thomas knows five times. Either way, I think you have your answer, Willard. I think that he's beginning to get all kinds of fatigued. We should see our goodbyes now, gentlemen. Well, goodbye, Captain Reagan. It was good to see you again, and probably for the last time, judging by the look of you. Bad luck about the going crazy thing and the going broke thing. I'll do what I can to see that this version of you never gets into the history books. I'm sure that your legend would agree with me, sir. Like it dependably believes in everything that I come up with. See you, Ron. My bank will be sending some space repo guys over to pick up that cabinet. It's probably worth a few credits anyway. <laughs> yeah, sure. And a good Danny Thomas's nose to you, too. <laughs> 
Aren't you coming, Ned? In a minute, Willard. I'm, um, gonna see if I could get the fleet captain's autograph. Um, on this bottle of ketchup that I just happen to have with me. <laughs> a vegetable for a vegetable. How apropos. Isn't that something? Even as a disgraced, disgusting shell of a man, he's still gracious enough to sign mementos for his conservative equestrian fans. <laughs> hey, Ned, see if you can fool him into putting his old John Hancock on one of Bain's transfer of title contracts. I figure that his name is still worth something, even if the man isn't. Sorry, sir, but our company already has those rights. They're finally gone. Captain Reagan, you'll know why I'm here. Yes, I know. Danny Thomas's nose. Listen, sir, it's not easy for me to say this, but I owe you something. You alone stood up to Errol Flynn when he was insisting on having me shot out from underneath a stunt rider in a battle scene in one of his stupid Indian killing movies. I think that your argument was that the Indians were too rich from oil profits to be such skilled marksmen. So therefore, the planned shot was unbelievable from a conservative's perspective. Lucky for me, your absurd racist stereotype prevailed, and I survived to be exploited another day, albeit in more humiliating ways, and I owe it all to you. Regardless, I'm getting you out of here, and to somewhere where you could get some help. You may just live to thank me. Starting, why, it's July 24th, Pioneer Day, my favorite of the LDS holidays. Usually for this day, I try to make it back to Utah. That's back on Earth. <laughs> I'm certainly not referring to the planet Utah, where all the people are two shades darker than true evil. <laughs> Anyhow, it looks like I won't be taking part in this year's reenactment of the Mormon pioneers arriving at the Great Salt Lake. And to think it was my turn to play Brigham Young this time. And it was Ann's turn to play his 52 wives. Oh, well, I guess I'll just pull an ox cart around the shuttle bay for a while and then have some beans. On board the free enterprise, we're all making the best of the Seattle logging camp set that we've been forced to use as a bridge. The network execs told us just to work it into the plot somehow. <laughs> well, we are a science fiction show, so I guess we can do that. Right now, as I speak, our conservative science team is trying to work out a godly rationale for that. Oh, yes, and we have Commodore Mitch McConnell on board. He always wanted to visit an old-timey logging camp with remarkably long two-man saws and an incredible steam-powered what's it? <laughs> it's just like being in a busy hive of bees, except there's more cussing and more cursing. Mr. Sulu, are you having any luck pretending to push buttons on that plastic mock-up of an 1870s log-splitting flippity-jip? Um, not really, sir. But I can still read the script okay. Captain, we're leaving orbit around Starbase 14. And heading to Jemuel Kron's Fatih's Dive and to our next assignment. That's right. The inhabitants of that world are being tragically wiped out by a most virulent disease. We're hoping to obtain a vial of their infected blood so our medical people can isolate and study the pathogens that caused it. And then find a way to propagate them. <laughs> Just imagine the fearsome biological weapon that could be made out of that stuff. It could kill hundreds of millions quite affordably. I say, we'd be attacking the enemies with the weapons that God gave us. Because killing evil with disease pleases Jesus' big killing needs. Amen. 
I'm just glad the Confederation was never lured into signing some intergalactic treaty banning biological weapons. I mean, it's good if every other star empire bans them. I'm all for that. But when it comes to our side, I think we need to keep them on the table along with antimatter landmines and photon cluster bombs. I mean, we owe it to the galaxy to possess all that stuff as the one indispensable power. It all comes down to Confederation exceptionalism. I've written about it extensively, and so therefore it's true. Captain, the controls on this steam-powered table saw are not responding. The ship is veering off course and making a new heading. Course 3598 Mark II. That heading will take us to the Taxis system. system is completely off-limits to Confederate ships. The planet Texas 4 is especially off-limits. Any Confederate officer that visits that planet is eligible for the ultimate penalty. <laughs> oh, my glory. You don't mean... Mr. Sulu, find a way to regain control over the ship. You might try that big axe over there. There is no way that I will have any officers of mine receive the ultimate punishments on my ship. Willard, the Commodore is referring to the death penalty... Not whatever stupid thing you're thinking of. Ah, what a relief. I thought he meant a spanking machine. I had some experience with that in my old fraternity house. <laughs> it was a time of personal crisis. I'm convinced that I came within only one slap of being turned gay. I feel like the gay community really missed out on something there. Well, as you know, I'm all for the death penalty. <laughs> and if we make it to Texas 4... I'd have no problem beaming down an executioner with each landing party. Mr. Pearl, crank up the logging camp's portable telegraph and get me Mr. Gould. Okay, sir. I'm pretending to do that now. I've got him on the intercom, sir. Mr. Goals, you'd best charge up your laser axe. We're going to have need of your expertise shortly. <laughs> We're heading for Planet Texas 4. Texas 4? Did I just die and go to ghoul heaven? Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Be assured, my axe is charged and ready to go. Captain, I was just conducting a routine whiskey bravo test in the cloakroom, and you'll never guess what I found. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised, Mr. Welsh. I love guessing games, and I'm quite proficient at them, too. Did you find a sparkling new package of welder's chalk and a handsomely carved Thulean purple puffin decoy? No, sir. It's a monkey puzzlewood chicken cabinet that contains none other than Fleet Captain Reagan in the flesh, sir. Well, <laughs> I guess I was close. Captain Bradley, kidnapping a Starfleet's Fleet Captain is a capital crime. Anyone who's thought to have anything to do with such a terrible crime deliberately invites the death penalty. What are we in Texas or something? Doesn't anyone just get fined anymore? Well, how could Reagan have gotten here? Someone must have abducted him. I say, is it possible that Captain Reagan just wandered off? I mean, a man of his advanced years? This kind of thing happened. Maybe he was trying to find a light switch, and he hit the transporter button instead. The next thing you know, and he's on board in the cloakroom. I, I'm sorry, I just can't buy that. We've been through a lot together, Captain Romney, but this time you've gone too far. Trying to abscond with, of all people, Captain Reagan, 
our, our ideological father, our confederation's manlord king, if you will. Even if he is crazy now, that still doesn't excuse what you've done here for your own personal gain. I respectfully insist that Captain Romney be immediately relieved of command, and the ship's fourth in command be tapped to assume the role that he's so uniquely suited to. To what, Pearl? Assume your rightful place in the Ignatian weasel tank? Listen, Shorty, if Romney is relieved, then I become captain, and you'll get a permanent posting to the Ion Pod. You could sit there for hour after hour with nothing to do but imagining my hoof an inch away from the jettison button. I withdraw my request, Commodore McConnell. Well, I am relieved. Let me get this straight. Are you relieving yourself? I am relieved because our Ignatian weasels are very sensitive. If you put an alien weasel in with them, they'll stop feeding, and then their fur starts to turn green. <laughs> Poor little guys. And there's currently no Confederate market for green weasel fur. But that could all change fast if we get a free trade deal with the people from the green mist. They're all green absolutists out there, not to be confused with environmental abolitionists. Their kind of green never means cash. Captain, I insisted to find a way to turn this ship around, or even destroy it if necessary, before we all reach Texas 4. Captain... We just received a message from a very unconventional source. Actually, someone in a flannel shirt just handed me a piece of paper. Yeah, well, that's how they used to handle interlogging camp communications. Somebody really did their research for this episode. Captain, this comes from a nameless network executive. They are ordering you and your top officers to view a previously unreleased pilot episode of this show. Apparently, it was fairly expensive to produce, but the network didn't like it. I guess it was really pretty terrible. However, now they want us to view it in its entirety and make plans to somehow integrate it into this episode. They must figure that our show is so bad already that doing a little recycling wouldn't hurt and it would save some cash. Oh, and they wish to inform you that the show's writers have already seen this pilot and they've probably already made a half-assed attempt to make a new story around it. Captain, I suggest that we all head down to your briefing room and prepare to watch this old pilot that they're talking about. Great idea. We'd be having a swell time and be obeying orders at the same time. Captain, can we program the food synthesizer to make popcorn in really large containers of El Janubian pop? I say, I say. What about the fleet, Captain? What are we going to do about him? Should we have Mr. Stephanie C. pack him up and lug him on down to the theater? <laughs> Great idea, Doc. We can use this monkey puzzle wood cabinet to set our food and drinks on. Captain's log, starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. Wish I may, I wish I might, <laughs> etc., etc., we have lost control of the free enterprise again, and we are heading for a forbidden star system called the Texas. <laughs> Which is not a very inspiring name, especially for folks like us who need to keep every gleaming brick of our own capital. Also, the network executives that canceled our show last month are forcing us to view some rejected original pilot. Their idea is to save money by having our writers somehow seamlessly incorporate that pilot into the plot of the episode. Right now, Fleet Captain Reagan and Commodore McConnell are on board and they're joining us in the briefing room for the movie show. 
what we are witnessing now up on the big screen, <laughs> which has to be about 36 inches, is a record of a mission that took place a decade and a half ago. That is, by space fictitious time, this recording was made in great detail, though not in high definition. A variety of camera shots were employed, and incidental music has been added in order to emphasize the on-screen drama and evoke the right emotions from the audience. This really is something. The indefatigable captain of this free enterprise appears to be fully awake, and it's none other than Captain Ronald Reagan. And he's being ably assisted on the bridge by a young Lieutenant Pearl and a full Palomino science officer named Mr. Ned, which comes as a bit of a surprise to me since I was pretty certain that Ned was locked up in our barn 15 years ago. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop talking now, and we will join the original trashed pilot of Ned Trek already in progress. Captain Reagan, sir, we're picking up an automated distress call. It's coming from a Confederate ship located in the star system up ahead. Uh, well, I guess it's behind us now, sir. We're going pretty fast. Captain Gipper, the ship is the U.S. Blunderwreck, which was listed as lost approximately 75 years ago. Apparently, they were expected back at lunchtime, and they never showed up. Well, I'm sure that their lunch would be cold by now, or someone even more hungry may have eaten it. Mr. Boyleys, radio back. Inform them that the lunch invitation has been canceled. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, maintain our course for the Wimple system. We've got our own lunch time to consider. Hey. Captain, Mr. Boyleys was, um, reassigned to, um, the ship of the imagination, sir. But I can probably send out the message about the lunch cancellation. Sir, I haven't deviated our course. We're still heading for our next assignment. Captain Gipper, the distress call is accompanied by a sub-frequency tag. In the last century, they used to categorize planets by their political orientation and give each one a neoconian class designation. The computer interpreted the old-style code letters MS, meaning Marxist Socialist. Hey, that was one of the most invadable designations. So the blunder wreck must have wandered into a paleo-Marxist hive. And unsurprisingly, they didn't live to tell about the horrors they faced there. Well, if there is the last bastion of communism out there, then we may have to investigate. After all, we are the only imperial cavalry out here. Heh. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, cancel our former lunch. Mommy, bring us about and give us some bag lunches up here. Um, I'm kind of afraid to ask, Mr. Dad, but which one of us is Mommy? Disturbingly enough, I think he's referring to his wife. Stop the picture! Stop the picture! You with the remote control, Mr. Who's It? Hit the pause button on that there device. Do it now! These events that we're viewing, they ain't possible. No log record was ever kept and included such fancy camera moves and incidental music. This is a farce. But a well-edited farce. I myself was just transfixed by seeing such a young and virile version of myself up there on the big screen. And all of my points are right on. I still agree with them completely. Pearl, we're just pretending that what's on the screen happened 15 years ago. It was really only filmed last year. Even so, in the intervening time you managed to balloon up like a walrus. You look more like the hideous beast that ate Lieutenant Pearl. No, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. None of that's true. Captain, make him take it back. 
<laughs> now, boys, try to keep it down to a roar, or else we won't allow you to destroy any more planets. Fleet Captain Reagan, Ron, was that really you up on the screen? <laughs> if it was, then I would have to say that I feel even better about my own personal command style. Mr. Thomas's nose. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Now about those overdrafts. Captain Romney, Sulu here. The network executives want us to get the video rolling again. They said that a failure to comply will result in the ultimate penalty. <laughs> oh no! Spanked until we're all gay! That's to be avoided at all costs. Mr. Stephanie C., please resume the movie and bring me another package of green goobers. I say, mmm, mmm. Those goobers are good. I'm turning it on again, Captain. Oh, it has started now. We're closing in on the source of the distress call, Captain Giffer. It's emanating from the planet Texas 4. Well, it's been a while since I've been to Texas. I guess that this would be a good excuse to get into my ranch clothes. Hey, hey. this calls for cowboy hats, boots, denim and plaid. Mr. Pumpkin Toe, did anyone ever tell you that you'd make a great horse? Captain Gipper, it's Texas, and not Texas. The us in this case refers to the socialist collective us, as opposed to the independent, freedom-loving ass in Texas, and I am a horse. Oh, well, I guess that I'll have to wait on the cowboy get-up, won't I, Mommy? Um... Sir, I suggest that you go ahead with the cowboy pantomime. I mean, our man can beam down in full cowboy regalia, with lassos and spurs and horses and cowboy food and big old style six-shooters. And they can, like, roll into the socialist town where they're holding our people and shoot it out with the bad guys. They'll all probably be dressed in dark Soviet-style bandito suits, and they'll be twirling their Stalin-like mustachios. But they won't put up much of a fight, because the lack of incentive inherent in their economic system has made them weak and corrupt and dissolute. Well, that is exactly what we expect from their socialist lifestyle. Go on, Mr. Boilies. The Confederation is right behind you. We'll give you all the funding you require to carry out your attack. We can raise the money by illegally selling Confederate arms to the Taxians. But don't tell anyone that I knew about it. That thing, whatever it was we were talking about. Me carry it out, sir? Um, I don't know if I have the proper uh, cowboy training to do that kind of lassoing and wrangling. My part is to stay here and advise you on how you can order other more expendable crewmen to carry out my plans. I mean, carry out the Confederation's plans. Pearl, did you ever consider that any survivors from the crash would be over a hundred years old by now? Those cowboy special ops forces would be liberating a bunch of dried-up old skeletons, if anything at all. Hey, of course... I was with the U.S. forces that liberated the concentration camps at the end of World War II. It took place in Hollywood. What a great scene. So what if they are just a bunch of old bones now? I think that would even help to ensure the success of the operation. It should be as easy as plundering graves. We couldn't help but find victory and possibly some gold watches and stuff like that. Well, you know, I have long since come to the conclusion that I'd never send our cowboys into a war that we wouldn't let them win. Still, you wouldn't want them to win it too fast. Sir, we're approaching the planet. Should I initiate a standard orbit? Yes, Helmsman. Mr. Boilies, assemble a landing party in the transporter room. 
and get the quartermaster to issue us all the proper convoy outfits and available quarters in case there's some vending machines down there. But there is no Mr. Boyleys on board, sir. He, um, he must have been transferred. Very good, Mr. Spindlelegs. Please send a subspace message to Starfleet and request that Mr. Boyleys be reassigned to the Free Enterprise immediately. I need to ask him something. Mr. Boyleys? Oh, there you are. Um, sir, I didn't even send the message yet to request his reassignment. Besides, I'm Mr. Mayor, I, I think. Oh, it's you, Mr. Spindlelegs. In the absence of Mr. Boyleys, you can go ahead and assemble the usual team of the show's regulars in the transporter room and prepare to beam down to the planet Texas for. But, sir, considering the fact that this is the show's original pilot episode, none of us have achieved the status of being a regular yet. You might say that we're all aspiring to be regulars, and I think that it's causing some intercast tension among the crew. I personally am delighted by the fact that so far I've been featured in this episode, and I've been given no less than four and twenty speeches. I've decided to join the landing party this time. It has been a while since I've been able to strap my spurs out. Number two, you have the bridge. I think he's referring to you. No, I'm Mr. Spindlelegs. I don't want to be number two. Well, this looks like the kind of desert set where a body can get some good prospecting done. Why don't you young fellows mosey over yonder and have a look around for survivors from the crash space buggy? I'm going to stand behind this rock and wait for a wagon train to come through. I reckon I'll be doing some voiceover work for a while. I'll take the mule with me. It'll help me get into the right mood. Captain Gipper, I'm not a mule. And besides, you could wait here for the next ten years and no wagon train is going to come by. They say the television westerns are on their way out. It's detective shows that are all the rage now. You'd be better advised to stand behind that rock and wait for Heck Ramsey or McLeod to come by. Captain, there's a mock-up of a stereotypical western town just over this rise. It's called Willow Gulps, although I think they probably meant to write Willow Gulch on the sign. Anyhow, there's a hotel, a saloon, a livery stable, and a sheriff's office with a jail. There's even a plywood cut out of an outlaw's scruffy face looking out one of the barred windows of the jail. Oh my goodness, sir. I think that I know what must have happened here 75 years ago. The blunder wreck landed here. The survivors built this town and lived an idyllic traditional frontier lifestyle. Here they could drive cattle, drink alcohol, gamble their wages, deposit their winnings, hire prostitutes, arrest prostitutes, and hang wrongdoers. It's perfect in every way. Where exactly do you think they'd be driving cattle to, Pearl? Mr. Boyleys, I think that we should go directly to the sheriff's office. Perhaps he can lead us to the MIAs. Um, okay, but I think that I'm Mr. Spindlelegs. That is just lately, sir. Hey, you know, for once, we're actually dressed properly for the occasion. We're in cowboy get-ups, and we're moseying into an old-style western town. We even have a horse with us. It's just going to work out great. I know it. We're going to be greeted as liberators and showered with candy and flowers. Did you have to say that, Pearl? 
You might have well said that we were going to find weapons of mass destruction. You're always wrong. Hey, there's somebody coming. What's it, your grandfather, Pearl? I can't believe it. They're men. It's been 75 years, but I reckon I could still pick one out of a random collection of assorted animals. We're men, all right, and there are a lot more men where we came from. I should warn you, though, some are far manlier than others. This is our captain, Captain Ronald Reagan. He's probably the manliest one of us all. You sure are a sight for sore eyes, Captain Reagan. And let me tell you, sir, you haven't known sore eyes until you've lived to 121. Other parts of you get pretty sore as well, but the chairman keeps us ticking, I've got to admit. Anyhow... I'm Professor Eugene Stublins of the Indiana Numismatist Institute for Advanced Numismatism. Isn't that institute title kind of redundant? Oh, although maybe you do that intentionally as a mnemonic device in order to help you remember what you're doing there in your institute. So what in the world are coin collectors doing in outer space? Were you doing research on the legendary Termophilite Florin? It's supposedly the biggest coin in the galaxy, weighing approximately the same as the Termophilite moon, Kenneth. The Termophilite moon is named Kenneth? Yeah, it harkens back to a time when the Termophiloids were going through a deep bout of depression on account of their planet's lack of a moon. And at the same time, they were being relentlessly teased by a big fat Martian ambassador named Kenneth Zertfan. Finally, the Termophiloids got fed up, and, and so they tossed Zertfan out of a space hatch, thereby simultaneously solving both of the planet's most pressing problems. Well, it's my pleasure to meet all of you. I'm gratified to see that you've managed to stay alive and keep your conservative values, your dignity, and your firearms. I'm sure that you have a tale to tell about your adventures living off the land and building a community that has no need for government institutions. Hi, folks. Glad to see you all. I'm Mr. Green. Your gentleman should come and meet our chairman. He wasn't part of our original expedition but he's the person most responsible for our survival. Chairman? I mean, what kind of a title is that? Is he like this planet's answer to Sinatra? <laughs> no, he's our elected head of this town's extraterrestrial relations committee. Well, we'll be with you in a few minutes, Mr. Beans. First, I need to have a little conference with my officers. You see, we need to decide if everything is on the up and up down here or if we are being lured into some kind of man-trap by evil, devil-worshipping Marxist space trolls. I think your caution is warranted, Captain, sir. There's something funny going on here. I mean, when have you ever heard a cowboy say anything about a committee before? I'm starting to smell rotten, commie cabbage. And hey, just look at that barn. That isn't even built for gambling. It's just for storage. Well, they do have a sheriff's office with a jail... And I think I see a town hall at the end of the street. It's not exactly 20th century Moscow, is it? I'll just wait behind the blacksmith's shop while you gentlemen finish talking candidly about us. Oh, and by the way, everything in all the shops here is completely free to citizens and guests. It's all part of the service here. I expect that you'll enjoy your visit here. I think that we can even offer you a hot bath, Mr. Pearl. Darn it! And I took a photon shower this morning. And already I'm filthy again. Even dirty communist cowboys are noticing it. Hey, is it my imagination? Or does it seem like these guys aren't exactly burning to get back to Earth? Do you think that they were brainwashed or 
Maybe they're just stupid or inherently evil. I can bet you crayons to jelly beans that the Cartarians had something to do with this. I think that they somehow diverted the numismatist ship and they contrived the landing gear. Just so they could carry out a controlled socialist experiment on their crew of simple coin-wrestling cowboys. Hey. Legends persisted for millennia regarding a highly advanced race of space socialists called Texans. They were said to have hideous, swollen brains full of all kinds of smart matter, but they used their superior knowledge and abilities to further their own selfish goals of propagating more equitable societies on planets all throughout this sector. They were a menace to profitable commerce. Well, thank heaven that the Confederation came along and straightened out most of those former satellite planets. That kind of across-the-board equity is anathema to brand freedom. Captain Gipper, instead of engaging in another hour of uninformed speculation, let's just go to the sheriff's office and find out what's really happening around here. Very well, Mr. Pumpkin Toe. We shall ask the sheriff. Captain, the sheriff's name is Gobatoy, which, if you ask me, sounds kind of alien. We'll have to take a close look at his head and see if it has any weird prosthetic lumps up there. It's always a dead giveaway for extraterrestrials on these shows. It's fascinating how the physiology of most aliens will exactly match that of a human, but when it comes to their heads, there's all these weird bumps and stuff. Well, the place seems to be closed, Captain Gipper. I reckon that law and order has taken the day off today. Well, I just have a hunch that he's in there. Sheriff Gobatoyan, open up this door. Wow, I think that we'll all remember this as another iconic moment in television history. I mean, just to be here while the same great man who single-handedly brought down a communist empire with just a few well-vetted words spins his magic once again. Mr. Boilies, take your phaser and disintegrate that door. Um, sir, I think that I'm Mr. Spindelegs today. But anyway, I don't have a phaser. I don't think that any of us has one. You had us wear those authentic synthesized cowboy outfits, and they only came with old-style six-shooters. Phasers are just not standard equipment, I'm afraid. I've got a phaser, and it'll be my pleasure to warm it up for you, Captain. Who the hell is that guy? And where did he come from? Oh, that's Lieutenant Commander Brubaker. He's our security chief in the ship's fresh number two. What? Did he just beam down? Where the hell was he a few minutes ago? He probably didn't exist. Remember, this is the pilot episode for a prospective new series. The writers and producers are still fine-tuning the cast, the plot, and even the dialogue, even while all of us are busy living it. They probably just realized that we've been doing an awful lot of dull talking, and they've decided to inject a note of action and excitement and likely some gunfire. And so Officer Brubaker is literally born with a gun in his hand. I was born on the Mars colony. And you know what, Mr. Horse? Mars is the god of war. Are you sure that you're doing what the writers intended? That door isn't even singed. 
Don't worry. I'll send it off its hinges, and I'll do it right after the season premiere of Quincy. Tonight, Quincy puts his butt on the line for a friend. Then on happy days. Jesus, what's going on with this guy? He's like some kind of professional voiceover guy. A network announcer or something. Doesn't this studio believe in hiring actors to do the job of actors? Well, money is tight. Most of it is spoken for. Besides, some of these voiceover guys will work for beans. And I mean any kind of beans. Even craptillion lima beans. Yuck! It's also that the actors are all busy doing other things. Um, like being politicians and starship captains. Mr. Moominchance, try once again to phaser down that door. I said... Consider it phasing down. Captain Gifford, did you ever think of just checking to see if the door is unlocked? Let me give it a try. Hold your fire, Captain Marvel. Oh, look at that. The door is opening. But you could shoot it anyway, just so we don't set a bad precedent here. Greetings. I am the sheriff of this quaint mock-western town, Willow Gulps. Am I addressing the alien visitors from the Confederate starship? What are you talking about? You're the alien. Just look at your head. It's the biggest alien head I've ever seen. How in the universe do you get your undershirt on? Oh, well, I suppose you can just get undershirts that kind of go on like smocks and tie in the back or something. His head looks about average size to me. Just because you can wear a thimble as a top hat doesn't make you normal. Well, from the back, his head kind of looks like somebody's ass. I mean, it's disgusting. The network sensor should require him to wear a gigantic helmet or something. Let me blast him, Captain Reagan. With this here ray gun, I can whittle his head down to normal size in a blink. You'll do it, but only under orders. Is that understood, Mr. Bojangles? Aye, aye, sir. And up next, the fugitive in color. By now, I think you can all see what the problem is with using this guy. Sheriff Gobatoing, we're here to rescue the Confederate MIAs. Their spacecraft landed here a long time ago, and it seems as though while they've been here, you may have been subjecting them to an unnatural communist lifestyle. Captain Reagan, though our civilization is substantially more advanced than yours, we never developed a need for space travel. Instead, we remained on our homeworld and concentrated on our own cerebral development and the advancement of our own people's social condition. There is no poverty and taxes, no disease, no crime, no inequity, no corporate dominance of the commons. The life that your former countrymen enjoy is free from all of the petty jealousies and class strife that characterize your own world. It also sounds like it's free of being worth a tinker's darn. The fact is, that's just not the way that God intended free men to live. You see, Sheriff, God created man in his own image, with the express purpose of having him fight other men who are also created in that same image. They are to fight until one of them gets a bloody nose, and then they can all figure out who is who while they decide where it is they want to go in their spaceship. 
I don't understand what you are driving at, Captain. Well, by now, even you should realize that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I am from the Confederation, and I am here to help. Cool, Captain. You counted contractions as single words. Hey, I didn't notice it before because I was so shocked by his hideously deformed head, but Gobatoing talks without moving his mouth. I think that we must be reading his thought transmissions. Either that or he's just some kind of ventriloquist dummy, and there's some evil mastermind behind him pulling his communist strings. You're mixing metaphors, Pearl. If somebody's pulling his strings, that would make him a marionette. Well, he could be French, too, I suppose. I see that you are confused by my method of communication, and by everything else, really. I actually recorded my dialogue yesterday, since today my dentist performed a complicated procedure on me, and now my mouth is very sore. I suppose the dental work is covered by your socialist medical plan. They probably just let you go into any dentist's office that you please, and they do what needs to be done all on the taxpayer's dime. What will they think of next? It's despicable. Um, hey, uh, just out of curiosity, can I get some free work done on my own pearlies while I'm here thinking about how best to condemn you? Hey, Gobatoing is closing the door again. I wonder why. Captain Reagan, I think there is an opportunity presenting itself here. We can have Commodore Poindexter and that even more handsome Commander North whip up some kind of counterinsurgency down here. They can use Confederate cash to generate some nibbles among the self-interested private contractors here on Texas. Later on, while all the principals are on some resort planet counting their monies, some lackeys can be induced to attack a few farm collectives in the middle of the night. I can guarantee the whole socialist house of cards should fall in by Christmas. No, Mr. Boilies. It should be an all-out bombardment with photon cluster bombs. We can clear this whole city put parking strips on it and be back home in time for a sumptuous Christmas dinner. What is it about you guys and Christmas? Listen, you're out of baiting in a vacuum. Obviously our weapons don't work well down here. And don't forget the crucial fact that the crash survivors don't even want to be rescued. Let's just get out of here and try to salvage some kind of science fiction plot or this pilot is never going to be picked up on the network. Captain, I'm pretty sure that we can bring Mr. Ned up on charges for saying things like that. And perhaps for saying anything at all. I mean, doesn't it go against God's law for horses to talk? Hey, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I do know that we can't allow the presence of a communist beachhead in our galaxphere. Let's try to convince the MIAs that it would be in their own interest to come with us. And then we'll let this planet taste the wrath of God as it comes down in the form of cluster bombs made by men. Yeah, well put, sir. And the MIAs will be much more at home in the living hell of a Confederate prison camp than they will in the dying hell of an exploding Trotskyite cowboy town. Reagan to free enterprise. Aye, sir. Aye, you here. Ah, Mr. French. Prepare to let loose a barrage of photon cluster bombs on the mock western town. We're going to show these communists how freedom rings. Um, and yells and birds. What, Captain? You and your team are in the middle of a wee target right now. Saints above, do I have to tell you. If we launch this attack, each and every one of you will be casualties just as sure as I live and breathe. No fear, mister. We don't intend to become casualties or martyrs to communism's last scream. 
We'll beam out of here right after I give the order to Bob. Aye, aye, me lord. You've got a bit of the devil about you today, sir, if you don't mind me saying. And I'll be standing by waiting for your orders. Irish out! Captain Gipper, let's go talk to some of the crash survivors and see if they'll reconsider and decide to leave with us. That Sheriff Gobatoing sounds like he isn't going to do anything to stop him. So why don't you exercise your famous communication skills and try and convince some of these ancient cowpokes that it would be in their own interest to come back to the free enterprise. There's one now. It's Mr. Green, if I'm not mistaken. Thank you, Mr. Pumpkin Toe. You know, I've met Mr. Gunads before, back when I was working for Westinghouse. Hehe. <laughs> you know, back then, there were some days when we decided to play hooky. Me and Huckleberry Poindexter would go down the river and catch some crawdads. Before we knew it, the sun had gone down, and Mommy was telling us that it was time to make another big important speech. Um, that's very enlightening, sir. Thank you. Mr. Green, Mr. Green, how long was it after your crash landing that the taxians began giving you Cadillacs and welfare crowns? Was it right away, or did they only gradually ramp up the flow of unearned rewards and spring the trap of a culture of dependency? No, no, no. We're all just neighborly kind of folks down here. We all just show up to help somebody when somebody needs it. We've all known each other for a long time now, and the Texians only provided a safety net for us. That's in case we couldn't catch one of our own folk. If I understand what you're saying, and I don't care if I do, then I'm disgusted and revolted, too. Don't you see, Green? Any help that they've offered had to come from taxes collected from people who have a God-given right not to help anybody but themselves. And actually, just by helping themselves, they do much more to help everyone else. We call this inadvertent philanthropy, and it works best if you don't examine it, ever. If you did, it might very well stop working. Green, why don't you help us to convince the other crash survivors to transport up to the free enterprise before these chicken hawk warmongers turn it into a radioactive slag pit? Commander Huss, we're a simple people. We're elderly and some of us need some special care now. Although your offer to transport us off to a Confederate prison planet is, um, generous, I think we'd much prefer to remain here and live out our days as collectivist cowpokes. Well, I think what you really need is for someone to reintroduce you to what real men live like. Real men that put on their pants one leg at a time. That is, unless they happen to be aliens with three or more legs. In that case, they may just have to jump into their trousers with all of their legs at the same time. Anyhow, these men that I speak of wear their trousers up high so that they stay in touch with their heritage. They ask for nothing and expect nothing and they're happy not to get it. And no one listens to them. And they're fine with that. You should be ashamed of yourself, Green. Government is only the answer for those who are asking the wrong questions. You people down here are degenerated into teat-sucking commie freeloaders. And I am filled with loathing and even some hatred right now. The trouble with you, Green, is that you went from pink to red, and all account of you being yellow. I'm only glad that Michael Landon isn't around to see how far his television father has fallen. Mr. Gorn, what you fail to realize is that your system doesn't afford you the incentive to better yourself, or indeed to amass a colossal fortune that looms like a neutron star in the heavens, with gravity enough in an economy to suck up all the wealth from every other sun around it. 
The impoverished chunks of asteroids that survive are then provided with a great example of something they could try to emulate. Listen, I'm a military consultant. I can only tell you the truth. Your survival story is bad news in this galaxy. If word gets out, it may provide a perverse incentive for Confederate slop ships to organize and even institute some kind of single-payer health care system. We can't allow that to happen. So you will all have to be destroyed. I'm sure you understand. Wow, how rude. Green just walked away while I was still talking to him. Kipper, if these guys aren't going to come with us willingly... Let's just beam back to the ship and re-record the last few hours' log entries. We could revise them to say that there were no survivors on Texas for after all. We could say that they were just an illusion created by super-cerebral aliens with amazing, um, illusion-creating abilities. Well, I'd have to agree that it would be the easiest thing to do. You know, to get some ensign to alter his voice electronically and make some fraudulent statements on the record for us. He can even do one as James Cagney. That would lend a bit of box office credibility to it. You dirty rat. Anyhow, that way we'd all have plausible deniability. If the truth ever came out, we'd just throw that traitorous ensign under the moon bus. But still, it would be just as easy to blow the crap out of this place. And then we could all get off on seeing the last communist canker in the galaxy be transformed into cosmic dust. Or into gamma rays, if you prefer. Well, I agree, Mr. Boilies. But before we do that which needs to be done, let's get some holographic snapshots of us having a walloping good time in the cowboy town. We can go to the blacksmith shop and pretend to make some new shoes for Mr. Pumpkin Toe. And then we can go to the saloon and play cards with a group of pooches dressed up like cowboys. After that, we'll send this whole kitten caboodle to its godless rewards. I'll go up to the ship and prepare our assault. We'll mix up something extra hot and spicy for this lot, with a twist of lime. I'll wait on your order, Captain Reagan. Very good, Mr. Banjo. We won't keep you waiting long. Captain's log, excremental. At least, that's what I hope that is. All of our ship's top officers have gathered together in the briefing room, along with the very handsome Commodore McConnell, and the once even more handsome, and while now not so handsome, Fleet Captain Ron Reagan. We've been mandated by our parent network to view the original pilot episode of this show, and it has been an enjoyable cinematic experience so far. Most of the crew has fallen asleep, probably because they've all worked so hard trying to stay awake the first half of the morning. The show has been incredible. Captain Reagan in command and making tough decisions. Mr. Ned and Lieutenant Commander Pearl in those days. Unfortunately, the VHS copy that we've been watching jammed, and now Mr. Welsh is trying to get it working again. So far, with no luck. Mr. Welsh, <laughs> do you think that you can get the video to play again? I don't know, Captain. These bulky cassettes don't fit very well into our ship's beta system. Also, it seems like someone taped over the second half of the pilot. There's an episode of Mannix that starts right about where we left off. Did you say Mannix is out? I'd rather go back to our show. I must say, my eyes were just glued to my own image up there on the big screen. What a performance. It seems that I had a much more prominent role in the original conception of the show. Definitely the show was more cerebral and way ahead of its time. Audiences probably wouldn't have appreciated the dense slices of science fiction fromage that we were serving up there. You're right, Mr. Pearl. The show was awfully cerebral. 
I mean, that alien fellow's brain was huge. The fact remains, Captain Romney, your ship is hurtling towards a forbidden planet, Texas 4. And someone in your crew willfully abducted a crippled up former iconic Starfleet officer. What do you have to see for yourself? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about all that stuff. I got so wrapped up in the movie show. Captain Willard and Commodore, we have four key members of that original cast on board the ship, and three of them are in this very room. No, no, Mr. Ned. Here's my personal copy of the pilot. It's on an old-style DVD. I carry this with me all the time. Stuff this into that beta player and we can enjoy the climactic ending of this unforgettable cinematic feast. Oh, and sorry, my copy is in black and white. It's kind of science fiction noir, I guess. Captain, I don't know what a bootleg DVD will do to the system. It may not run, or it may blow the whole thing apart. Just turn it on, Welsh. Prove to us that we just don't keep you on board for your looks and for your wine-testing abilities. Hi, sir, but don't say that I didn't warn me. Now smile for the camera, Mr. Boilies. Sir, although I feel like celebrating Holy Moly Day every time you direct the most insignificant utterance in my direction, my own ego demands me to inform you that my name isn't actually Boilies. Oh, so it's you, Mr. Spindlelegs. Good. Please tell Mr. Boilies to smile for the camera. And this time, hold the blacksmith's hammer up high, like you're about to bring it down on a white-hot piece of metal resting on the forge. Captain Gipper, shouldn't we be thinking of getting out of here? I mean, you've got the ship on red alert. Photon cluster bombs have been armed and are on a hair trigger. And need I remind you that we have a gung-ho maniac voiceover guy, man in the controls up there. Oh, my God. You've convinced me. Let's get out of here. Heh. <laughs> Don't worry, men. I know what I'm doing, and I have complete confidence in Mr. Bastord as an experienced battle commander. He won't squeeze off as much as a single BB until I give him the order to fire one. Aye, aye. Fire one. Oh, no. We need to get to cover. Get out of my way, old fool. I mean, Captain. Oh, my God. I didn't say that, sir. It was, it was Mr. Boilies. Captain Gipper, you need to order that maniac to stop the bombardment, or else we're all gonna die in the pilot episode. Mr. Bogan, cease the barrage. What did he say, Mr. Brubaker? He said to increase the barrage, Mr. Sulu. But, sir, Captain Reagan and the others are still too close to the target. The man knows we're not playing for peanuts. And besides, we're following his orders. So you can just follow mine right now. Aye, aye, sir. But I respectfully request that we make every attempt to beam up of whatever is left of the landing party. Recommendation noted. Open fire. Oh my god, they're not stopping. They're ramping it up. We're all doomed. This is terrible. So, Pearl, I guess now you know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a drone strike. Maybe you'll think of that next time you're promoting that kind of indiscriminate murder. No, I'm still fine with these kinds of strikes as long as they're not targeting me, my gold, or anything within several blocks of me or my gold. 
Where's the rest of me? It's over here. Yuck! Oh my god, I'm worse than dead. My ass is gone. And I think that I also may be covered in a horse. Sheriff Gobertoin, what are you doing here? And why are your big brain cohorts sweeping up the tragically cut down remains of our landing party? You're not going to make us into some kind of atheistic cyborgs that will do your Marxist bidding, are you? You tried to relax and be quiet. We are going to get you back into the tip-top ship and then send you back home to your ship. Now, let us see that arm. No, don't hypo me, bro. I'm almost certainly allergic to that Maoist alien sedative. You just lie back, Mr. Boydies. Put your trust in our experienced healthcare givers. So there's the rest of me, right where I left it. <laughs> Mr. Pumpkin Toe, how long have we been unconscious? Probably for a day or so, judging by the state of my stall. The important thing is, is that the Texans put us all back together without regard for our ability to pay them back. And considering we were responsible for the destruction of the town of Willow Gulps, I don't think that we've got too much to complain about. You don't think so, eh? They grafted my ass onto the back of my head. Now I look just like one of them. What do I do now? Am I expected to put my pants on over my head? Well, they probably had little experience operating on humans. When they saw your ass lying there in the dirt, they likely thought, Hey, well, at least we know where this part goes. Don't worry, Mr. Boilies. When you get back to Earth, you can have your posterior put wherever you want it, if you've got the cash. According to the Confederate promotional ads, with an industry-approved deductible of 110%. Satisfaction is guaranteed for the wealthy patient and for fabulously well-to-do shareholders. Don't tell me that I have to walk around the corridors on the free enterprise with my ass on the back of my head. Don't worry, Pearl. Nobody on the ship is going to notice any difference. But I suppose your nickname will make more sense now. Reagan the Free Enterprise? Aye, sir. Mr. Mayor, beam us up home. Um, oh yeah, I guess that's me. We've locked on to you, sir. Wow, that was really something. <laughs> it sure was great to see the Gipper in action again. What a great pilot episode. I can hardly wait to tune in next week to see what hilarious shenanigans Captain Reagan and his wily crew get up to next. Willard, there was a not-so-subtle moral here that somehow I'm not surprised that you missed. Taxes for has free health care. If we drop off fleet Captain Reagan, they'd fix him up right. Free of charge. They could even give him a Danny Thomas nose job if that's what he really wants. Hey, Mr. Ned, it was you that diverted us here in the first place, wasn't it? You must have falsified that original subspace call from Fleet Captain Reagan 
the one that was responsible for directing us to the starbase. And then I bet you use your knowledge of the Free Enterprise's computers and logging camp control mechanisms to bring us to Texas 4. Now you're going to top it all off by offloading the most important celebrated Confederate icon onto that forbidden commie world. You're in trouble. Commodore Mitch, quick, order the captain to order a security guard to take away that despicable animal before he turns his hooves to committing another supercrime. Oh my god, the Commodore just fell over. All this time he was just a two-dimensional cardboard cutout, nearly life-size. Who could possibly have perpetrated this Kentucky Fried Illusion and kept it up all this time? Captain, we've entered into orbit around Texas 4. And sir, the control lock has been released. We're now able to navigate the ship. Sir, what are your orders? I say, Captain, we're picking up some kind of fangled transmission a crackling through the ethers and a percolating up through this console here. Captain Romney, I am the Sheriff of Willow Gulps. It was I that had the cardboard cutout of Commodore McConnell placed aboard your ship and slipped one of your ensigns a few taxing credits to dub in a plausible voice for him. Frankly, we were all a little amazed that you didn't catch on to it sooner. Anyhow, we welcome your fleet Captain Reagan to once again be the guest of the Taxians. We can heal his wounds, and perhaps even provide him with recuperative therapy required to make him once again a great communicator for your people. That's out of the question, Sheriff Gladstone. We like him just the way he is, which is pretty much a kind of living death. It's much easier for him to live up to his finely crafted legacy that way. Anyway, as one of our great Confederate philosophers once put it, better dead than red. However, since you are offering to foot the entire bill for his health care, would you also be willing to settle a little lien that my bank has on him? I accept cash or credit. Very well, Captain. Tell us the amount that is owed to your bank, and we will provide you with our planet's credit card number. Very well, <laughs> but the amount keeps growing. Gee, are there any more like you at home? <laughs> After you've verified our credit. Please beam the fleet captain down to the coordinates that your helmsman has just been supplied with. We'll be sure to do that thing. Mr. Welsh, load the fleet captain onto a dolly and get him over to the transporter room. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> Sheriff, understand that I'm obligated to add on a shipping and handling fee. You capitalist, you must have your fees. Very well, captain. Now Reagan will have his body back. And you will have your feet. I hope that you are content with yours. <laughs> I'm just over the moon. Thanks, Sheriff Gladstone. See you later. Run me out. I just can't take this in. You just sold Ronald Reagan to the last remaining communist planet in the galaxy. How can we possibly square that with the Confederation? Oh yeah, I forgot. You'll do it by showing them your freighter full of cash. Of course, my people control the rights of Reagan's name, and we will continue to define his legacy. And I guess that's the most important thing. I see. What I don't understand, Mr. Pearl, is how you got your ass off your head. Did a talented Confederate Reverend Doctor whack a cleaver down onto it? Or did you seek out some heathen alien cutter man? Actually, it's still there. After a while, I just got used to it. Also, I comb my hair differently now, but it's still back there, and very much my ass. 
I admit, it's hard to read in the bathroom, but I don't really read much anyway. I, I mostly just write things and say things on TV. In fact, my asshead is what you might call an asset in some of the Murdochian venues where I appear. Ah! Well, I guess we all learned a little something today, and I made a packet of cash. <laughs> Let's head for our next assignment, shall we, gentlemen? Mr. Ned, give the order. Take the ship out. Aye, aye, Captain Willard. But couldn't you just tell the helmsman yourself? Jesus. Mr. Sulu, I had warp factor three. Aye, aye, Mr. Ned. Warp factor three. (laughs) 